Good morning. Pastor Drew is out of town for a couple of weeks, and so you will see some other faces up here over the course of the next couple of weeks. I'm Jean Schneider. I'm the Director of Care and Counseling here at the church and have the honor to to be here with you today, taking a look um, as we continue our series on Apprentice. And Apprentice is a word that we hear um, in, often in the trade industry, plumbers and electricians and HVAC people have apprentices often. And so as we think about that word, it also means disciple. And we are called, as followers of Jesus, to be on a life journey of apprentice with Jesus. And we think about Jesus as the expert in life with God the Father. And we apprentice to him in order to learn and to embody how to live life with God. Those were words from Drew's sermon last week. I just wanted to get that in. Um, so, so everybody has that foundation. Um, so now as we think about that, that word discipleship, it's the way that we encourage, support, challenge one another to apprentice with Jesus. It's those relationships that we have that hold us accountable to follow the ways of Jesus. Now, you know, the fun thing of having two services is that after the first service, people come and share, you know, things that they heard you say or thought they heard you say, um, or just kind of giving their little tidbits of like, hey, this made me think about this. So when I mentioned that word accountability and having those relationships, I had a dear couple friend come to me after the service, and the wife said, you know, we were talking about accountability on our way to church today. And she kind of had this little, you know, smirk on her face as she said it, looking over at her husband. And she walks on, and her husband stands alongside of me, and he said, you know, he said, There's a quote from Red Skelton, great theologian. He said, single men make mistakes too, but married men find out a whole lot sooner. (laughs) Is there some amens, men? Uh So, So we know that sometimes we have those accountability relationships that just always kind of are there helping us to grow in Jesus. Um, so we're gonna look, last week we looked at that relationship between Paul and Timothy. And that was more of that relationship of Paul being the mentor and Timothy being the mentee. That Paul was coming alongside Timothy and helping him to grow in his faith. Today we look at the relationship between Paul and Silas. And we don't know a whole lot about Silas often. We often hear um, about Paul after his extreme conversion um, that he dedicated his life to follow after the call of Jesus. But Silas 
there are a few passages about him throughout Acts. And one of those passages says that Silas was a leader among the brothers and that he was a prophet and said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. So it appears that both Paul and Silas had that they were deeply rooted in their faith and they were coming alongside one another to do ministry, to follow after Jesus, to do his will. And then we think about a passage in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. I think about Paul and Silas, and obviously Paul penned these words. And it's kind of this charge to us as followers of Christ. It says, As you therefore have received, the, received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we know that as Christ's followers, we live in this broken world, and the only way we can live our lives for him, staying rooted and built up in our faith with thanksgiving, is to recognize our need to abide in Christ and to have other Christ followers that encourage and challenge us to continue to live a life fully established in faith. Now we know that can be challenging. And we're going to take a little peek at um, Paul and Silas in a passage in Acts 16. And this is kind of a nice little snapshot of one of their adventures. Because when you think about Paul and Silas, they went on some adventures for Jesus, right? And probably we, as Christ followers, we can often say we have often found ourselves on adventures. And so as we take a, take a look at them, they're, they're traveling through Philippi. And um, we're going to start in verse 16 and chapter 16. And kind of check in and see what what their adventures have looked like thus far. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you and we do thank you and praise you that you give us these snapshots of ministry. And Father, Paul and Silas' ministry may look different than our ministries today. But yet, God, we know that you call us to stay rooted and built up in our faith with thanksgiving. And that we are to live our lives for you. And so, Lord, just bind any distraction right now in the name of Jesus from us hearing and fully receiving the words that you have for us, Father. We pray your anointing that we may continue to grow more and more in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a look at this adventure. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed... I love that. Very much annoyed. I mean, 
Can we relate to that? Yeah. Wow, I love it. Now, he was doing the work of Jesus, right? He was proclaiming the good news that Christ is Lord. And yet, here he is on mission getting very much annoyed. Um, I just love that. He turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Some time has passed. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Catch that. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them, washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house, set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Wow. That's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Now... I don't know about you. You know, you you read that and you think, wow. Where I go is it makes me wonder. It makes me use my imagination. And here's what I wonder. What was the dialogue between Paul and Silas? I mean, think about it. What kind of meaningful conversation was going on? I bet there was some. Now, if you were Silas, were you saying, Paul, way to go. If you hadn't been so annoyed, if you had taken that anger management class, you wouldn't have been, you know, chasing this demon out of this person and ended up landing us in jail. That may have been one conversation. Or maybe it was Silas saying, Wow, it's about time because we've been given the power and authority in Jesus to cast out demons. And he was encouraged that Paul was using the gifts that God had given him. I don't know where Paul was at or where Silas was at, but it does make me wonder what those conversations were. But what we do know and what's recorded in God's word is that 
at midnight, at midnight, we saw what they were doing. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been flogged and beaten and stripped and put into shackles, how many of us would be praying and singing hymns to God? I don't know. I would like to think that I would, that even in spite of all those things, I would maintain a kingdom focus. But what I do know is that it's, a lot, it's much easier to maintain a kingdom focus when you have somebody else alongside of you reminding you that might be giving you that little nudge to remind you of the ministry, of the mission that started you on that path that may land you in a place that you didn't really want to be, but yet it seemed like no matter where they landed, God had a plan. Because did you catch that not only were they singing hymns to God and praying, but the prisoners were listening? Wow. So it doesn't matter. People were still listening if he was free walking on the streets or if he was imprisoned. People were listening and watching. How were they going to respond to this? Is what they preached really true even when they're in prison? The other amazing thing that happened was with the jailer and his family. That as the doors flung open, that's another place that I wonder about. Did Paul and Silas tell all the prisoners, now stay put. You know, you just witnessed something phenomenal here but let's not get this jailer in trouble. You know, did they say, you know, stay here. It's all good. You know, we don't want him to get in trouble. We just saw an amazing act of God. Or I sometimes wonder, I wonder a lot, I sometimes wonder, did, were they so in, in amazement of the power of God, were they just kind of frozen and couldn't even believe what had just happened? Because sometimes we get to experience those amazing things that God does. So whatever the case may be, we know that people came to know Christ as Lord as a result of their kingdom focus, no matter that they were in prison. Now, most of us haven't experienced actual imprisonment, but yet we all have our prisons. Fears, addictions, disease, death, disappointment, abuse, anger, forgiveness, Debt, worry, control, and I could just go on and on and on. Or maybe you can relate to this quote when you think you have it all together, right? It says, I'm putting my whole faith in God, but still living as if everything was up to me. Friends, that's a prison as well, to think that it's up to you. So who do you have in your life that lovingly questions your growth in Christ? that helps you in those times of imprisonment that can come alongside of you and help you to grow in Christ. Has anyone recently asked you that actual question? I made a mistake the other day. I was inquiring about someone's growth in Christ, but I didn't, I didn't say in Christ. I just said, 
Hey, where do you see yourself growing? I meant in Christ. Their comment was, it seems to me that my waistline is growing lately. So be careful how you ask those questions. So we're going to consider some important components of a discipling relationship. And I think the first component we have to really look at and is the foundation to even enter into these discipling relationships is humility. Some people, I think I heard a groan. Um, When we think about humility, we often may think about it as an absence of pride, which is certainly one definition. But I liked another definition that says humility can also be defined as an indulgence of self-deprecation. Meaning that we don't believe that we're, we're good enough. And so those various guises of self-beliefs that whisper that we are not worthy of another person's time or attention can stand in our way of those discipling relationships. We may look at others and think they have it all together and feel ashamed to think they might find out our struggles. Are you willing to take a posture of being taught, to be teachable? Let me assure you, we're all on a journey of transformation. Humility is about recognizing that we are equal. At the foot of the cross, we are all equal. And it's about being less preoccupied of ourselves and more on the one who created us. So something to think about. Do we have that posture of humility? Such a key element as we enter into those discipling relationships. I think along with those beliefs, those self-beliefs that whisper in our ear that we are not good enough, that that becomes a feeding ground for fear. Because, again, what if the prisons I'm living in become known? And isn't that exactly what the enemy wants us to believe? The enemy wants to isolate us, wants to separate us from life-giving relationships. Because we know in relationship with Christ, true life is found And with one another, life is found. So we're going to pause and we're just going to ask the Lord to reveal to us, do we have any negative self-beliefs that are causing isolation from others, causing isolation from God himself? So just pray with me and we're just going to pause for just a moment and just seek God to speak to you about those. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you tell us that we are uh, worthy because of you. And Lord, I ask now that you would come and shine light into any place within us that we believe that we are less than you say. 
So Holy Spirit, come. Bring a truth. Reveal to us any of those beliefs. In Jesus' name. Now, you know the counselor in me wants to go like, okay, Dennis, what did you hear from God? And Sharon, what did you hear from God? But we will keep moving. Um, But I do hope that if, if in that moment nothing was revealed, I encourage you just to pause sometime throughout the day and just say, Lord, what do you want to show me? What do you want to teach me today? Because we first need to be teachable before our Father. So another place that, that I often hear people say, especially with this, this emphasis that, that we have on discipleship, is that people get, begin to get kind of protective of their time. I don't have time for another program, another thing the church is asking me to do. Well, I've got some great news for you. This ain't new. This is not new, and this is not a program. This is a lifestyle of following Jesus so that we can be in relationship with him and with others. Isn't that great news? You don't have to carve out something new to do. This is a lifestyle. This is something that God has called us to do really from the beginning of time. I mean, when we think at the story of creation, what did God say? It's not good for man to be alone. And he created another person. And if we just kind of go through each of those different events throughout the Old Testament, we often see that people partnered together to do the work of God. And so this is just about partnering with one another to do the work of God, to follow after Jesus. So last week Drew mentioned that the family is the primary disciple-making unit. So all of those that are in that place... um, Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, you guys are the primary disciple-making units. So you're already doing life with lots of people. I want you to consider other places you hang out. Work, school, organizations that you participate in, volunteer in, the gym, Playing bridge, going to the Bengals game. Now, what I told him in first service, you got lots of time there. Lots of time to have meaningful conversation because you're looking for life-giving, right? And from what I understand, the Bengals are not showing much life right now. So you can have an opportunity to have something a little more fruitful while you're watching the Bengals play. Um, Your neighbors. Already Bible studies or small groups that you may be participating in. But I want you to consider, are are those relationships that you have with folks, are they people that you're allowing to speak into your life? Are they allowing you to speak into theirs? I have been part of Bible studies before that we've studied the Word. We pray for one another. 
But sometimes I'm not always challenged. And I think to have those true and authentic relationships as Christ followers, God desires for us to have community where we can be authentic and transparent, where we give permission to be held accountable. I recently, in a, in a small group that I've been a part of for years, I felt like God was asking me to do something and I thought, well, the only way I'm going to do this is if I say, hey guys, will you ask me when we meet again if I've done it? No, that's kind of scary because there was a part of me that was like, ah, I'm not sure if I'm going to do this or not. But by golly, did I do it because I knew that there was going to be 10 other people asking me, did you do it? So think about those ways to create those relationships. Now, not everybody you come in contact with are you going to have that, that kind of authentic, transparent relationship with? Okay, so don't, don't hear me saying, oh, well, Gene said we have to go around and like, be authentic and transparent with every person we meet, even the Kroger cashier. Okay. <laughs> but I think growth really begins to happen in our lives and in the lives of those around us when we can begin to be transparent. An example of this was um, looking for those relationships that you already have in your life or inviting people to come into your life that you're already, things that you're already doing. So a few years ago, I had a former grad student that was an intern over at the counseling center. And she had finished in her internship and she had come to me and she said, Jean, I want to start exercising. Okay, good. I think exercise is great. She said, I want you to do it with me. Okay. She said, you exercise a lot. Yeah, I kind of do. I'm kind of one of those weird people. Um, and she said, and you have the background and the training from my undergrad degree. That's true, too. And she said, so, so can we get together like three times a week and exercise? And I said, well, I, I don't know. Because there was a part of me that said, oh, She's fabulous. She's fun. Love to do that. And the other part of me was like, oh, great. One more person that wants my time and energy. I don't know. I said, well, we, we might be able to do that. I was very noncommittal. Uh, maybe. I'll get back with you on that. And so I went before the Lord and said, God, here's this opportunity. Is this, this your opportunity or is it just another person wanting something? And... Um, and it was pretty clear to me that, yeah, pursue that. So we jumped in, and we started exercising away. And um, what I can say is, is that she encourages me in ministry, and I encourage her in her ministry. We give permission to each other to ask challenging questions, to speak truth, to one another, we hold each other accountable to pursue the things of Jesus. It's, in a re it's a relationship that enriches my life and the lives of others because as she challenges me to live out my life with Jesus, all my relationships are impacted. My marriage, my family my colleagues, 
Every relationship is impacted because of her willingness to push me, her willingness to ask the hard questions. And it was interesting. I, I got permission to, sh- to share that relationship as we were exercising the other day, talking about it. And, um, and she said, oh, I'm a Timothy. You're the Paul. And I said, oh, I don't think so, sister. <laughs> Let me tell you how you impact my life. And I think those are important things to consider, that sometimes those, those relationships may start out as more of a Paul and Timothy But as you continue to grow in your faith with one another, how those relationships change. And I think for me, I allowed myself to be teachable. She taught me so much. You know, one, because she's about half my age. And for some, you know, you automatically think, oh, I'm older and wiser. (laughs) She's about one of the wisest people I know. But the interesting thing is, is that as she speaks wisdom into my life, that I'm able to surrender more and more to the Lord as well. And she's also from a completely different ethnic group, grew grew up outside of this country. And there's nothing more fun for me is to learn about who she is and what formed her. Um, Grew up as a missionary's kid. And you talk about interesting stories there. So again, learn from one another. Be humble enough, be teachable enough to continue to learn from one another. Now the last thing that that I want to mention about discipling relationships is that there's got to be a degree of health in those relationships. Now as counselor, I get to hear all kinds of things. And one of the things I hear periodically when somebody wants to tell me about how awful the church is or how these Christians did X, Y, Z, that they've been burned, they've been hurt, they've been wounded in some way, often in somebody under the guise of, I, you know, I'm going to walk alongside of you, I'm going to help you grow in your faith, and that there's been a real unhealth in that relationship. So one of the most key components is to have the skills to navigate healthy relationships. We don't just magically learn skills. We've got to invest in learning those skills so that we know how to have healthy relationships. So, and some of you are going, here she goes. So on September 30th, Just two weeks away, we're having a Listening for Heaven's Sakes class. Listening is one of those key skills to have effective discipling relationships. You've got to know how to listen because you've got to be able to listen to understand. So often we want to be understood, but again, I think a a posture of humility is to say, can I understand that person? Can I understand where they're coming from? So I encourage you, if you've never taken that class, to consider doing that. If you have taken that class, I consider, I encourage you to consider taking that. I've done that class, I don't even know how many times, um, and paid a lot of money for a grad degree to learn how to do that too. Um, 
but I'm always learning each time we walk through that. I'm reminded of where am I not being a good listener. So I just encourage you to think about that, to take that that posture of humility to seek to understand someone. Info in your bulletin about that. Um, And so I want to pause here and ask you to think about who do you have in your life that you are in that mature discipling relationship with? Who's there? Who encourages you? Who do you encourage? Who do you hold accountable? Who holds you accountable? I understand that can feel scary at times. But I really want you to think about who do I have in my life that does that? Because that's where life is found. And to really begin to ponder that. Now, we also heard last week about those opportunities, maybe more of like that Paul and Timothy relationship of developing um, relationships with the youth through WizKids or Pleasant Hill Elementary are programs throughout the church that are always looking for adults to come alongside youth in the church. I also just think about our, our college age, our young adults. For me, as I was in, in my early infancy of, of a Christian, I can, I can name all the Pauls in my life. And if it hadn't been for them, I don't know where I would have been. Because there were times where I felt really discouraged following Jesus. And there were people that came alongside, came alongside me to encourage me and to teach me the ways of Christ. We also will have the opportunity this fall for the connection groups. And again, it's not a program. It's about creating opportunities to connect with one another, to develop that lifestyle of encouragement of accountability, of support. So I encourage you to think about not only participating in those, because there's also some skill building that will go along with those groups, but invite somebody to do it with you, somebody that may already be a part of your life that you've thought, you know, I'd like to grow in relationship with them. So look around you. Who do you have that you could invite to even come along with you? So we see that example of Paul and Silas, that they sought first the kingdom of God so that they could be rooted and built up in the faith, giving thanks to God. So who's helping you stay rooted and be built up so that you can be transformed, so that you can give thanks, so that you can continue to walk in that foundation of faith? 